Welcome to episode two of the Product 5 Full Stack FinTech Podcast. Today's podcast is an interview of Thompson Wen, founder and CEO of Nearside, a financial services provider and neobanking platform for micro SMBs. Thompson sits down with Aaron Huang to discuss why Nearside decided to focus on small business and lessons learned from founding and managing a startup during a pandemic. Now, on to the interview. Super appreciate the time that you're taking just to spend talking shop today. And I know you've been a, an early stage advisor, partner, customer product fires for quite a while now. So thank you for being part of this uh, inaugural podcast. No, I mean, thanks for thanks for having me. Like, uh, really, really big fan of Product Fi and the the mission that you all have. So, uh, no, uh, happy to be here. Thank you, sir. Quick, quick round of intros. I'm Aaron. I'm the head of commercial here. Thompson, why don't you just give give folks a, a sense of your background, your role at uh, at Nearside? Yeah. So, uh, hi everyone. I'm the uh, the founder and CEO uh, of Nearside. Uh, Nearside is a financial services platform and neobank for micro SMBs. And to, so to us, a micro SMB um, can be, you know, like a two-person LLC, a seven-person S-Corp. We could also actually just be the individual, an individual self-employed person who's running their own business um, and to, who's supporting themselves. Yeah. So I've got a personal anecdote on that. And this, this resonates with me. So I'm, I'm going to ask you about the killer use case I have my own thesis for you know your um, target market for micro SMBs, but what is the killer use case and and why the why this target market? Yeah, so you know uh, in terms of why this target market, I I think what I find really interesting about micro small businesses and uh, individual sole props is that they they eventually represent future businesses, but they're individuals, right? So if I start like Thompson's Tacos LLC, um, eventually this might be like a 10, 20 person. Uh, uh, you know, restaurant or small business, but for now, it's just Thompson, the individual making yeah. decisions. And so um, it's a very interesting, unique uh, group that we're going after because, you know, it's, it's, it's an individual with the aspirations and ambitions of eventually starting their business. Um, and so when we think about like, what are the hardest things like uh, that individuals go through when they're starting their business? Um, there's like an executional operational component of incorporating their business, getting an EIN, getting their initial bank account, hopefully with your side, uh, sourcing their initial capital uh, and term loans um, just to get started up. But a lot of it is also around making sure that they're uh, spending their money wisely, that they're tracking their savings um, that, or their spend rather, that they're saving as much money as possible. And so when I think about like Nearside's killer use case and how we uh, enable for that individual to, to build their business and to, to really get started, uh, it really centers around um, how we can save them as much money as possible. How can we make things as easy as possible to get set up? Um, and then how do we grow with them? So we provide a 2.2% cash back debit card on top of their checking account. And so you know, that certainly helps in helping them save money. Um, we can approve you instantaneously. So it takes you five minutes to fill out the application. And in most cases, you get approved instantly and you get a virtual card number and your card is two days shipped to you. And so uh, we're, we try to be as fast as possible in getting you set up and in moving money around um, because time is of the essence when you're just getting started. And we want to make sure that we actually grow with you as well. And so as you grow your business on your side, as we're able to understand how your business grows, um, we can pre-approve you for a term loan um, anywhere from you know as low as $500 all the way up to $20,000. That's amazing. Um, 
<clears throat> I certainly could have used you guys when I was building my soul problem a few years ago. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think this is interesting, kind of use the term sort of like micro SMB, right? I mean, Brex and Ramp are arguably positioning themselves or have positioned themselves in SMB. This probably goes into some of your, your seminal thesis around sort of why there was a particular niche for micro SMB as I'm kind of hearing you speak, but can you kind of sort of walk me through some of that insight around why, why micro SMB, not, not sort of like broader SMB, if you will, like, what is it about that sort of market? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, there's great companies working on larger businesses, what we'd call like large SMB segment, all the way up to even, you know, venture backed startups or very large e-commerce businesses. But what I find appealing about the micro SMB segment is that it's, you know, it's this very long, long tail that exists here in the United States. You know, you've got uh, somewhere around 20 million small businesses, incorporate small businesses in the United States, but then you've got another 30 to 35 million individuals who are either freelancing, um, part of the gig economy, or thinking about starting their own business or self-employed individuals uh, who are just striking out on their own. And so uh, this group of folks is actually a much larger, represents a much larger uh, group of economic activity um, and individuals who will eventually start and run businesses. And we actually find that to be a, a much larger market, not just a, a much larger market for us to, to enter into right now, but actually, uh, you know, if we're able to empower and make it just a little bit easier for these folks to start their own businesses, um, then we're actually, you know, helping uh, the economic engine of this country move along, especially yeah. during a global pandemic. Absolutely. Um, and I think this is one of the things that um, we've discussed prior. And, you know, I heard you mention term loans, 2%, uh, 25 2.2%, sorry, debit card, checking accounts. One of the, I think, the, the trickiest things about go-to-market for both platforms like you and us is essentially the sequencing of these products, right? If I'm basically a, a micro business user and let's say I see a Facebook ad or, or something on TikTok or Instagram or, or what have you, you know, it's one thing to kind of look at the current competitive offering. It's another thing to sort of anticipate what you're going to also have in six months. But when you think about go to market from both a call it product sequencing and also user acquisition strategy, how have you sort of thought about that as like you've gotten farther and farther in your life cycle? Like walk me through maybe like your, you know, your seminal sort of like minimum viable or minimum sellable product. Like how did you come up with that thesis? And, you know, accretively as you go along, how did you think about building up your, um, your stack to make a competitive offering in the space? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we, we see the, uh, the debit card and the checking account as the primary entry point for all micro SMBs or self-employed people. And so, you know, you sign up on your side, you get a near side debit card and the debit card gives you 2.2% cash back and you move money in the account. And when you move that initial deposit for most online neobanks, it's sort of like a, an initial do you work deposit. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna yep. switch over and transfer my entire life savings or I'm not gonna, you know, uh, transfer and move everything from my current bank over what we're seeing is like this initial like $10, $50 uh, deposit into Nearside just to test and make sure that it works, that, you know, they're able to, to move it quickly enough. And then they actually, you then use the card. Maybe they go buy a pack of gum at a store, or maybe they move one vendor over. It could be their GoDaddy mm -hmm. subscription, uh, could be, you know, uh, you know, sort of like Shopify or Squarespace just to test it out and make sure that this is a, a debit card that they really want to use and get attached to. 
um, and that we actually, you know, the the two point two cash back is actually made to them, uh, you know, uh, quickly enough. Um, yeah. Once they once we pass that initial hurdle of that initial deposit, then people start moving most of their uh, recurring debits and even their recurring credits. So maybe they use Square to process credit cards, maybe they use Stripe to process online payments. They'll move that over the near side and establish this sort of account primacy that you know this is their primary business checking account or uh, their primary account as a self-employed individual. Um, and then from there, you know, as they grow their business, we, we, we can see the uh, sort of like the trajectory and uh, magnitude of their business growing in real time um, through our business checking product and the debit card that we can then layer on top um, term loans and uh, future line of credit products uh, and pre-approve them for that. Um, so that, you know, before, uh, before anyone else, we can say like, you know, you've been a customer with us for a couple of months. We see that your business is growing. You're pre-approved for a $3,000 term loan. And, you know, they click a button. They already, we already have their information. They can get up and running with a term loan in 24, 48 hours. So it sounds like speed to funding. Funding cycles are, are fast. Share yeah. of wallet. Uh, I'm going to ask a naive question, um, you know, maybe a year and a half ago when I had my, my sole proprietor, how would you pre-approve me for like a $3,000 loan per se? Let's say I had made a $200 deposit into your system. Like, I mean, is there a secret sauce in terms of underwriting or is a pre-approval something that's sort of guaranteed for some of these like micro SMBs? Like how does that underwriting actually work? I, you know, it's a good question, right? And I think like the, the best underwriting systems um, are a combination of this like getting to yes whilst yeah. mitigating fraud and credit risk. And so, you know, that's like two things I've just talked about. The getting to yes is basically what is the minimum amount of data required to get to some affirmative decision on uh, underwriting a loan? And, you know, you mentioned uh, getting pre-approved for a loan. Well, with your business checking account after a month, as long as you know there's a positive balance and it's growing, uh, you could qualify for uh, you know some term loan. But I think you know what would increase the chances is if you connected other bank accounts through uh, Plaid or Yodely or financial aggregator, so that we can see what your financial history on your previous accounts looked like, or if you start connecting your point of sale or um, your your Squarespace or your Shopify. Uh, to near side, we'll be able to then see real-time cash flows of how you make money. And so in essence, that, you know, that, that virtuous feedback loop wherein customers uh, connect uh, their other bank accounts and their point of sales uh, to near side uh, would then give us that ability to underwrite faster and pre-approve faster. Gotcha. Uh, on the other side of that, there's a there's also an, an exercise in understanding, you know, uh, willingness and uh, ability to repay over time, and that gives us a lot of comfort around sizing the loan accurately, um, and then also timing the pre-approval. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I know, in full transparency, we're partner up on the data sharing side. Yeah. Um, and I know we we talked about this before. Is you know our own go to market, your go to market you guys launched before we, we were even incorporated. Mm -hmm. um, going backwards to sort of the time that you started, um, if you were to start, you know, would you go back and actually build certain components on a banking as a service platform? Like what parts do you think um, today, if someone was gonna basically start up a new neobank, a new commercial program, a new rewards program, 
Like what parts do you think components should be natively, always natively built? And what parts do you think could essentially be built on top of like a banking as a service stack? It's a good question, right? Because I think it, it's, it, I think it's highly consistent. Just, just as micro SMBs and self-employed individuals value speed in terms of getting set up and choosing their vendors, I would say for fintech companies looking to stand up products, speed to execution or time to market is actually a huge consideration. And so when I think about that, about that, you know, like vis-a-vis -vis like what to build internally, um, I would say, you know, stuff like underwriting models or uh, workflow of, you know, how an application gets approved or how it gets manually assessed or how you automatically approve them. Um, these are the kinds of things that it, it would be hard to uh, start outsourced and then insource it. Like you almost like want to yeah. develop this like proprietary logic over time. So you can start with like simplified decision trees, then move to some sort of machine learning model once you have labeled training data. Um, but everything else, you know, uh, you'd almost want to index on time to market and at least uh, partnering with like the right vendors to understand what you can exactly send over the wire, what you can provide uh, yourself, just so that you can start acquiring users. Because I think like user transaction uh, data or more, more importantly, user behavior, like how users like your product, how they don't like your product, it's actually far more important um, as early as possible. So you actually want to index on you know, time to market and, and partnering with like vendors who can just get you going extremely quickly. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, essentially time to user acquisition to basically validate um, a lot of those hypotheses that we have. You know, what's interesting, I think about uh, your situation um, and also product is that we are run by sole founders. Um, and obviously there are some, I think there would be some advantages, also some disadvantages of being a sole fintech founder, but I'm curious, any, anyone that's sort of watching this, that's either sole founder or have thought about becoming a sole founder, you know, from your perspective, what do you think some of those advantages and disadvantages of being that, you know, in, in fintech or just in general? You know, I, uh, it's not easy, right? Like I think um, if, it, it, I think the first startup that I uh, founded, I had a co-founder and it was extremely helpful in having someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to talk to, someone to, to really just like divide and conquer up work because there's just so much work to do when you're starting a company or a startup uh, or, you know, a small business. Um, I think uh, th there might be a couple benefits of being a sole founder and that like you're able to, um, you know, move fast or at least feel like you're moving fast when you're starting out, like it's just you. Um, but I'd say that there's a, there's a, there's a lot of things that I, I need to be mindful of with respect to making sure that I've got um, people who are thoughtful, who understand our mission, who can, you know, uh, build products uh, quickly and, and without too much input from myself. Um, simply because as a solo founder, yeah, it can get uh, uh, extremely difficult. And, and I think like just workflow uh, or workload management is a, is a huge issue, um, especially in the early days. Yeah. Have you thought about any sort of like tips or tricks to manage that workflow? Like, is there a, a, a ritual that you have or a schedule that you have that kind of has helped you along the way? Yeah, I, you know, so I found uh, keeping a lot of notes, writing a whole bunch of checklists, of like things I need to do. Um, and then the constant reprioritization of that checklist, probably on a daily basis, helps ground me to focus my time only on the most important things. Um, one thing I've also found is, you know, and, and we've kept this at the company, we have no meetings on Tuesdays. 
And so, you know, the goal of that is to ensure that uh, we have our dedicated amount of time for focus work. And so, you know, uh, my job these days is meeting with a whole bunch of folks, a whole bunch of candidates, a whole bunch of investors and a whole bunch of our customers. Um, I still I, I still keep my Tuesdays open just so I can dive into a, a particular topic or or one thing specifically uh, to an arbitrary amount of depth that, um, you know, that's needed. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds super important. Um, I'm glad you actually said that because I think a lot of people are feeling like overloaded, especially during COVID with remote work. Yeah. Um, well, we've got three last questions. These are these are sort of fun ones. Um, feel free to uh, throw them back in my face if you don't right. like them. But pancakes <laughs> or waffles, Thompson, and why? I like waffles because um, they're really just like. Uh, pockets of syrup or whatever you put on them. And so it's actually a much better vessel to hold liquid. And so, uh, yeah, I'm gonna pick waffles. Okay, one waffles for Thompson coming up. Second, Bitcoin or Ethereum and why? I, that's a hard one. You know, I, I think what I like about Ethereum is the entire space of smart contracts, and uh, smart applications and decentralized apps built on top of Ethereum. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a really interesting future on top of Ethereum, but I think with Bitcoin, there's a lot of uh, pre-existing and common infrastructure and a whole lot of like uh, commerce on top of Bitcoin already, as well as like, you know, a couple of countries declaring Bitcoin as like their, their, uh, their alternative currency. Um, so that's a tough one. I'd probably tilt towards uh, Ethereum. Ethereum it is. Last one, this is the most unfair question I can ask. And because it, you're going to say something like it depends, but yeah. scale first and then raise or raise capital and then scale. Yeah, it really depends. If I had to choose one of <laughs> them, because that's not the point of the question. Um, I, I would say that, you know, in an ideal world, capital ought to be the lagging indicator of success, not the leading indicator. Um, it's not even like a good indicator of success, right? Like the, the only real indicator of success is whether people actually love what you build and people actually use what you want Absolutely. Um, and whether you're building something that people want. And so I would say, you know, to the extent at which you could scale a company and build product and talk to users before you raise any capital, fantastic. Because if you can scale that, then you know, raising institutional capital is simply a function of understanding how you can scale your company and figuring out who the right person is uh, to partner with. Um, because if you don't do any of that, you still have a business or a product that people use. Um, so yeah, in an ideal world, I'd probably say scale first. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Thompson. Um, always good to chat and we'll definitely be looking to uh, hearing, hearing some updates from you soon. Yeah, great to talk to you, to you as well. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right, bye.